Good morning. We're feeling good this morning. So do you guys remember, um, it was about one month ago, we had a special Sunday where we were handing out envelopes, right? And they were envelopes that were filled with cash. And then we went through the parable of the talents, and the parable, basically, the, the big idea, take this money and invest it in the purposes of the master, right? Take this money and spend it on the glory of God. You guys remember that? Well, uh, Sylvia and I have been collecting responses from people, like the ideas they've cooked up, some things that they've actually done with the, with the money. And we've had some exciting stories and, and stories that are just so pregnant with more potential and more promise and more fruit. And so at this point, uh, we thought we might highlight a couple of them. A couple of them that actually kind of reinforce the message for today. So um, can I have Michelle uh, come forward? Uh, let's give her a hand as Michelle is going to share what she and Johnny decided to do with the, uh, the money. Here you go, Michelle. Thank you. Um, during our freshman year at Berkeley, me and Johnny and some of our InterVarsity friends read this book, Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream by David Platt, and found that it powerfully shook our idea of what it meant to live out our faith as followers of Jesus. The book was convicting and challenging as David Platt uh, proposed a response to the gospel that was uncomfortable but world-changing. We both believe that reading this book really shaped the way that we chose to live out our college years, from small decisions to serving on leadership within our varsity to larger commitments like attending Urbana and investing in global missions. With the money in our envelope, Johnny and I thought it would be a great resource for the young adult small group to study together in community. We wanted to purchase a set of books for the group and ask each of the small group members to consider donating the cost of their book or more back into a mini kingdom fund. At the end of our study, we wanted to decide as a group, hopefully with a renewed perspective, how we wanted to further the money for God's kingdom. In addition, we would each have a copy of the book that we could pass along to friends, neighbors, coworkers, and introduce more opportunities for good discussion, challenging questions, and changed hearts with those around us. So that was our idea. And we do have extra copies of the book if anyone's interested in reading along with us. So. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah, let's give her a hand. Um, <clears throat> I was wondering if you might be wondering that that's kind of a unique testimony for us to share. Uh, We had 30 people have envelopes, and you guys are thinking, why is it that you guys are showcasing a testimony where they haven't even spent the money, you know, that they can spend it on books? And there's something about the the principle behind what Johnny and Michelle are doing where we're like, that is totally right on of what we're talking about. Because we didn't want it to be, here's money, and it's just an exchange of hands. Got the money, here you go. But we wanted it to be something like the money, there's some sort of transformation of the heart. And then from that transformation, then the money goes to a certain kind of purpose, you know? And, and so I love how they're slowing it down and say, let's, let's get a group around us. We'll read this book together. And however God changes our hearts, that's where we're actually going to put the rest of the money. And we're like, right on. That's giving from the heart. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Not just giving with the busy hands, but giving from a heart of compassion. 
And uh, I have one more uh, email that I wanted to share with you guys about what Mimia did with her money. Okay? Uh, it's, it's a really fantastic email. I've gotten a lot of emails. And I've been really impressed. You guys are really articulate and very thoughtful. <laughs> um, and so this is from Mia. Here it goes. I'm in my PJs, picking fruit from our front yard with chopsticks, listening to Aretha Franklin's Respect. This should have been the first flag that I was in a dream. We don't have any fruits in our front yard. But the chopsticks and the peach, okay. My mom calls for me to come as the sky darkens. Her brows are furrowed in worry. I start to feel fear. I hustle towards the front door, but before I reach it, I sense a darkness closing in behind me. Suddenly, a heavy gloved hand grabs my shoulder, and I turn to face a shadowy mountain of a man. I scream for my mom, and I see all of her five-foot-nothing of her already struggling to fight off her captor. At this point, I must have gained the power of teleportation because I'm crouching behind a bush in my side yard. I hear the men on our driveway arguing about whether they'll make more money by selling me locally or abroad. The old one can work in the fields. Find the girl, someone says. I'm cowering in my hiding spot, knife in hand. I'm trying to decide whether I'd be better off killing myself on the spot rather than to live without freedom when the man rounds the corner and I gasp myself awake. Uh, prior to this dream nightmare, this is me just kind of reflecting, I had been praying about what to do with the 350 I received in my kingdom fund envelope. In my quiet times, God hadn't told me specifically what I should do with the money. So I decided to first donate half to urgent needs as guided by scripture. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then to save the other half for if slash when God were to specifically guide me. Shortly after this donation spree, Pastor Andrew and Sylvia sent out that email pushing up the deadline. I was still waiting on God to tell me how he wanted me to spend the remaining 175, but now I was praying, okay, God, if there's something you want to tell me, you got to tell me soon because I'm running out of time. The day before the deadline, I was struck with an intense wave of drowsiness in the middle of the day. It made no sense because I had slept nine plus hours the night before, but I barely laid down on the couch when I knocked out and found myself in the dream, the dream that I just told you about. I fully believe that God speaks through dreams. And for this particular dream, I felt that God was purposely putting in my heart the cause of human trafficking. While I felt compassion for the disaster victims and the orphans and the widows, it was more of a detached kind of empathy. By placing me in the dream, God let me experience firsthand the terror, the desperation, and the hopelessness of human trafficking victims. To be taken from the safety of their own home, to be separated from your loved ones, to have no hope for the future. I woke with a broken heart and donated the remaining 175 to Not For Sale, a Bay Area-based nonprofit that protects, equips, and empowers survivors of human trafficking. This exercise of faith showed me that God cares about the heart of the giver. Kind of getting an amen. God cares about the heart. God wants us to serve, not just with busy hands, but out of a compassionate heart. Can I ask you guys, as you reflect, when you serve, and I'm not just talking about the poor, but maybe especially the poor, when you serve, you give your time, you give your money, does it come from a compassionate heart? 
when people look at the way that you love other people, is it from a compassionate heart? I've, I've been seriously asking myself this question, you know, just prayerfully this, this past week. And, and I can say for certain, like, when it comes to loving my church family, I'm all heart. When it comes to loving my family, I'm all heart. When it comes to loving God, I'm all heart. But when it comes to loving the poor, I'm a little bit mixed. Uh, one of our staff members on staff befriended a, uh, a woman in need. This woman was going through the phone book and just calling different churches asking for help. She's a single mother. She has two kids. They're, they're growing up, and this woman is, she doesn't have many resources. And so she calls, she's, you know, calling through the A's, through the B's, and the Christian layman's right there in the C. So we were probably on her early list, and they called the, the, the office, and one of our staff members picked up the phone, and they've been developing this relationship for years. And our, one of our staff members will go and give time and energy and prayer and, you know, even a great sacrifice and inconvenience to herself. But recently, this staff member had to go out of the country. And so she was inviting me to befriend this woman. And so I got to know the woman. She called me one time because she needed some rent money. And so I went and I helped her. Now, this is what happened after I helped her. It was maybe about like one week afterwards. I got a text from this woman at 2 a.m. And the text, and it was blazing in my mind. I can remember what she said. She said, when so-and-so, the staff member... I love her so much. She has such a beautiful heart. And when she tried to replace me with someone like you, who is so cold, dot, 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 dot. And then she even said, I bet you don't even know my daughter's name. Now, I, I, was, I was very disturbed, very upset when I got this text because it was at 2 a.m., partly, but also, there was a part of me like, I do know your daughter's name. You know, it's Trisha, right? No, I do know. Because she said it. I remembered it. But I was upset. Because I felt like I bent over backwards to actually help you with your rent money. And this is what you say? But I, I, you, know what, you know what happened? I, bet you, I don't know exactly what happened. This is my theory. I think that night she was intoxicated. And she was under the influence, and she got her cell phone, bad combination. And you know what she was texting to me? The truth. <laughs> That's really how she felt. Now I was thinking about this. I was, I was, I was, I was angry, upset. I was going to, you know, text her daughter's name and say, see, I do know, right? But I realized that she was right. She, she was right. When I came that day to give her some money, help her with the rent, I did it. And I was annoyed that she was in this situation and she didn't have the forethought to plan around this. I was, I was annoyed. I was doing it out of obligation and duty. Now, I wasn't cold, but I wasn't especially compassionate. I just did it. And so I actually think about that. I don't feel great about that. But I actually think I have kind of a disorder, if you will. When it comes to loving the poor, I have a disorder. 
It's called Compassion Deficit Disorder, CDD. I just made that up, but it sounds really like you might find that in the DSM, right? CDD. Does anyone here have something like CDD? Like when it comes to loving the poor, the symptoms are you have busy hands but an empty heart. Now, now I, I know you guys. I'm one of you guys. You guys are, when it comes to actually serving, you guys are awesome. Like we asked you guys to come to the inner city and do an eye screening. Richmond, uh, West Oakland, and you came. Uh, three weeks ago, we asked you to, you know, cancel traditional service. Let's get out in the community and do a service worship. You guys came. But maybe some of you are like me. You got busy hands, but it's not really from a heart of compassion. You have something called a compassion deficit, you know? And maybe there's words like obligation and duty and guilt, and it gets kind of mixed in. And it's not necessarily from a really pure heart. Now, for people like, like us, like me, there's this one verse of scripture that just, it just kind of terrifies me. It's kind of scary when I think about it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, If I give all I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames... Like, you can't sacrifice more than that, right? But if I have not love, I gain what? Nothing. That scares me. Because Paul's saying, look, your motivation for why you do what you do is really important. Now, I'm not saying that duty does not play an important role in our love. It does. But I've got to believe that there's a better way of serving than the way that I was serving this woman. And I think there is a better way. And we're going to look at that better way today. We're going to look first in the scriptures. We're going to look at the modeling of Jesus Christ and how he served. And then we're going to ask a veteran mercy minister, Pastor Jonathan, to come up here and to join me. And then he's actually going to speak from his experience. And he's also going to uh, share with us what he took from this scripture. Now, this scripture that we're going into, actually, uh, is one of Pastor Jonathan's favorite. I asked him, I emailed him, I said, you're going to come up here. I want you to pick a scripture that has special meaning to you. This is one of the two. Now, it's interesting. There's three verses, but the first two verses, people normally read, and it's kind of like on the way to get to the quote-unquote meat, right? And the meat is the teaching of Jesus. And that's in the, the, the third verse. But what's surprising about this passage is like on the way to the meat, we actually find meat on the way, you know? It's these transitional verses that actually are going to breathe life into this message. Actually, can I get you guys uh, to stand? I'm going I'm to uh, pray for us, and then we're going to uh, read the scripture. Um, Lord Jesus, your word is powerful. And even those verses on the way hold conviction. And I just believe, I believe strongly that the Holy Spirit is going to speak a word to us, to encourage us, to show us a better way. And so I'm praying that you would be whispering into the hearts of the people and that we would have open hearts, Lord. Maybe we had busy weeks, maybe we're tired, but I pray that your word would just wake us up and your spirit would be whispering to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can you guys remain standing as I uh, read the scripture? And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send 
out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Now, as we read this scripture here, I want you to pay careful attention to the sequence. It's not awfully complicated. Like the first part of when Jesus is serving people and doing ministry, the very first part is Jesus went. Those are the three first words, and Jesus went. Now, we talked about that last Sunday. Last Sunday, the whole message was out. Jesus kind of airing out his mission statement. I am going to the poor, to the oppressed. I'm going to the blind. I'm going to those who are in debt, right? And so the word was, if you want to go where Jesus is going, if you want to see the gospel transform people, you got to go there too. And so that whole message was like, Jesus goes, we need to go too. So Jesus went is the first sequence that you notice. Jesus went. Now there's also another observation is Jesus got busy. Jesus was doing ministry. You see that here, right? He went through all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. He was teaching. He was proclaiming. He was healing. And then towards the end, you see him teaching again to his disciples. And he's talking about, you got to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers. So that's a combination, a pairing, a coupling that seems to make sense for us. Jesus went, and Jesus got to work. Jesus went, and then he taught. He healed. He proclaimed, right? It's much the same way like uh, if An was invited to go speak at AACF, An would say, oh yeah, I went and I spoke. Right? That makes sense. Uh, three weeks ago, some of us were invited to go pull weeds at Grant's house. So you went and you pulled weeds, right? It's very simple. But if you read this passage carefully, you will see, and the gospel writer really wants you to see this. Don't miss this. There's something that happens between the going and the doing. You guys see that? There's something that happens between the going and the doing. And if you miss this part, you're going to miss the power. You're going to miss the integrity. You're going to miss the sustainability. Jesus did not miss this in-between step. It's very, very crucial. It's right there in 36, right? 36 says, when Jesus, what? What's that word? saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. Yeah, you guys, I'm, I'm guilty of going and doing all the time. I go, I do. I go, I get busy. I go, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm cleaning, I'm washing the kids. But Jesus would go and he would see the people and then he would do crucial step he would see and his heart would be filled with compassion and that whatever he did whatever he spoke it flowed from that heart of compassion the stuff that jesus did flowed from seeing the seeing took life in compassion the compassion led to the doing and what we see is that it's the seeing that makes the doing worth going for And we can ignore this step in our lives because then our lives will lack power and lack integrity. It'll be short-lived. Our mercy will be so weak. 
Now, the gospel writer wants you to know that this is not the only time. It's not like Jesus only did this this one time, and I'm making a really big deal of it. Jesus did this multiple times. Now, if you turn to Matthew chapter 14, then you see a story that is pretty well known. The story that's very well known is um, Jesus multiplying the bread and feeding the 5,000. You know that. And you know he went to a desolate place, and then he did this miracle. But what did he do between going and doing the miracle? And the scripture writer wants you to know he saw the crowds, and he had compassion. And then he did. Same thing that's happening here. Here's another famous story. Uh, The young rich ruler. You guys know that story. You know it pretty well, right? So here's this young rich ruler. He runs to Jesus. He gets on his knees. He says, what must I do to inherit an eternal life? Jesus has this conversation with him. And it leads to a very compelling, challenging invitation. You guys remember this, right? Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. You guys know that. What happened between the encounter and that really, really hard saying? It's, it's, it's interesting. You can just read this really quickly. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Why put that in? Because the gospel writer wants you to know Jesus didn't just go and do. He didn't have this compassion deficit order, busy hands and empty heart. Jesus' doing flowed from his seeing. Jesus' seeing flowed into compassion. And that was the power, if you will, of his doing. Are we the same way? Would life be a little bit different? Would life be a lot different if we just slowed down and looked at people? Do you guys this morning, like, slow down and look at your spouse? Anyone want to do it, like, right now? No, that's kind of weird. Anyone want to slow down and just look at the people around you? What would happen if we slowed down on a regular basis and just looked at the people in our lives? You're walking down the street. You're slowing down. You're really looking at people. And you're just open to the compassion of God filling your heart. I want you guys to go ahead and stand up. We're going to try something different. Would you, go, would you stand up? Uh, let's, let's play this out a little bit. Okay, Doug, I want you to get ready. I want you guys to pretend uh, you're walking to work. Okay? Or maybe you're just walking on a street. Maybe it's in Berkeley. Maybe it's in Oakland. Maybe it's in San Francisco. You're just walking down the street. Okay? Normal, every day, you're just, dum, 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 you're just walking down the street. And then I want you to look at the picture, and I want you to tell me what you see. Now, this is where we get a little bit interactive, and I want us to be really, really honest, okay? No one's going to judge you for what you say. You're walking down the street, and you see this man. Let me just ask you, honestly, on a normal day, what do you see? Voice it out. I see a tattoo that he will regret later. Okay. What else do you see? Come on. Help me out. A clever sign. It's a clever sign because in, uh, you know, it's almost like you could put that in a Twitter quote. It's so economical and it tells a story, right? And what, what do we start to wonder about? You start to wonder, like, 
Is the story true? What do you guys wonder when you look at this sign, when you look at this young man? Donald. I wonder if I'm going to get scammed like last time. Now you're telling a story of your own. <laughs> is, this, is this kid for real? Did his mother really leave him? What else do you wonder? How did he get there? What was modeled to him when he was young? What were his dreams when he was a little boy? What were his parents like? What were their marriage like? Did he have active parents in his life? I wonder, is he addicted? Does he have a a habit that he he would like to drop? Maybe it's really hard for him to drop, but he's so young, he's so able-bodied. Why isn't he working? I wonder what his mother thinks when she sees that sign. I wonder what his mother thinks when she sees him. What does she see? I want you to imagine just walking down the street, seeing this young man, and then asking yourself, Jesus, what do you see? What do you see when you see this young man? Uh, Why don't we do this one more time? Uh, Next picture. Okay, I just, <laughs> that was just a joke. <laughs> what do you see? No, I'm joking. We don't have to do that one. How about the next one? The next one. Okay, that was a, we're getting really serious. We're breaking, breaking it up a little bit. Uh, the next one. Okay, you're just walking down the street in San Francisco. You see a line of people lined up. Our, our normal input, you just walk down the street. Just, there's a line of people. Imagine walking down the street and saying, Jesus, what do you see here? What do you see? What if I were to show another picture, and it was a picture of your spouse? Whatever I show another picture as a picture of your coworkers. Whatever I show another picture and it's a picture that you really don't like. You find this person annoying. Actually, you can go back to the other one. That might work. And you say, Jesus, what do you see when you see these people? I bet you that one question could totally change your life. What do you see, Jesus? When you see? I know what I see, but what do you see? Do you see people who are helpless and harassed? Do you see people who are like sheep without a shepherd? Okay, you guys can take a seat. Uh, this, is, uh, this part's even better. I'm going to ask Pastor Jonathan to come up here. Um, Jonathan, I want you to insert you into this message. And I, and I, I, I want to insert you. There's, there's some good reasons that I have for this. Jo- Pastor Jonathan has been working in mercy ministry for 26 years. He is an old man, this, this guy right here. I'm, I'm getting old. Yes, you're getting yeah. old. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, you know, some of us were doing bags of love. We, I told you a story. We were in San Francisco. And the, right. one, of, one of our leaders came up to me and said, I don't know how Pastor Jonathan does this every day. That's what, that's what he told me. Yeah. You know, he was so overwhelmed. And, and I want to tell a story just to kind of set up uh, Pastor Jonathan. He's been working at City Team. Uh, he's the director of a rehab for men. Now, this happened in 2003. City Team was going through this big drought. They could not sustain a program that was successful for four and a half years. They asked this man if he would actually be the new director. Within one year, he had six graduates and a working program, and the, the City Team was, like, amazed. So the board calls him in and says, what did you do, Pastor Jonathan? Because I think the thinking is, if they can understand it, they can reproduce it, right? What did you do? And Pastor Jonathan said, it wasn't me, it was God. And they go, right, but what did you do? Pastor Jonathan said, 
wasn't what I did. It was what God did. Right. And now they're annoyed at you. They're like, like right. Pastor Jonathan, yeah. God used you. What, how did he use you? And Pastor Jonathan said, I love this story. I, I, I didn't, I, you know what I did? I loved those men. Wow. When you really genuinely love people from your heart, people know. It's inspiring. They want to listen to you. This man has not stopped loving these men for about 26 years. And there's been about 200 graduates from your program. Yeah. And it's been an amazing program. Now, now Jonathan, I, I, I realize that I don't want to put you on a pedestal when I bring you up here. But the truth is, when I met you, you were already on the pedestal. So, so I think we have so much to learn from you. Like, how in the world do you do that ministry for 26 years? And how do you keep on doing it from your heart? Now, in, in, in my office, Jonathan said to me that he has learned to see people the way that Jesus has. Didn't you say that to me in my office? Yes, I did. And so I, I wanted to bring you up here to kind of unpack, right. what does that look like? How do we learn how to see Jesus, uh, see other people the way Jesus does? And so thank you for being up here. You guys want to say hi to Jonathan? Jonathan, you want to say hi to the people? Thank you uh, uh, for having me here this morning. It's an honor, Pastor Andrew and the Layman Christian Church. Uh, we really appreciate your partnership with us. We're serious, our partnership with you. Without people like you, wouldn't be able to do what we do uh, on 6th Street. Thanking it, thank you for the kingdom uh, fund that you guys uh, have graciously granted uh, for us just a few months ago. We have five graduates now. They want to say, hey, they say they want to do a, a summer internship with you guys. So they are so excited about that. Uh, 26 years passing through. Uh, uh, nothing happens to me. I never get tired for this. No, that's not true. God burned out several times. Uh, but uh, God uh, continued to raise me up. I want you to know that. Mm-hmm. Went through a lot of uh, challenging, uh, demanding, uh, frustrating time. But uh, keep focusing on the rewarding part. Oh. Okay? Uh, at the end, we see a kind of a reward. So that allowed me to continue what I have been doing. Well, one of the ways to uh, cultivate uh, a heart of compassion for me is, uh, is uh, learning to see people the way Jesus sees. Amen. I think that's, that's important for me. If I just go to uh, 6th Street, San Francisco, just to get my paycheck, just to finish eight hours a day, then uh, that's going to be really hard. Uh, one of the things my wife said to me uh, a few months ago is, uh, you never complain about mm-hmm. what you do. You get up on time and just go and just excited and say, yes, definitely. I'm excited about what I do. One of the reasons is uh, God has been teaching me to see these people the way he sees. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you two examples in the Bible. I did mention this one way. Uh, uh, met, uh, met last time. One is one example is that there's a way that human beings see things. And there's a way that God sees things. Same thing. Keep going. Just keep talking. Same 
king, same issue, same people. But God sees differently, and human beings see differently. One example, in Mark chapter 9. Some people brought a blind man, and they begged, Jesus, please heal. Open his eyes. And Jesus took him out to the village and spit on his eyes and touched. And the question that he asked is, what do you see? And the blind man said, I see human being moving around just like a tree. I want you to kind of follow me there. I see human being moving around just like trees. So what he's saying is, it's so blurry. I'm seeing human being, he's comparing human being with objects, right? If we see people just like an objects, just like trees, then we have a problem. We have a problem. We are seeing something, but we are seeing like a trees, like an object. Then I'm going to have a problem with you. If I see you as an object, not as a human being, then I'm going to have a problem with you. Okay? There's no way I can have a, a heart of compassion toward you. That's what Jesus said. He touched again. Now, what do you see? And he said, I see human being. So you see the difference? Second example is when Pharisees and others brought uh, the woman caught in the adultery, what they see and what Jesus saw was totally different. What they see was this woman, this lady committed adultery. Mm. adultery. Mm. We caught her in an egg, right? So according to Moses' law, she has to be stoned to death. According to Moses' law. What they see was she committed adultery. Second one is uh, according to Moses' law, we have to do this. So that's what they saw. And a scripture in uh, John chapter 8, Pastor Andrew, it says, Jesus was just uh, listening and just writing something. We don't know, gospel writer never say what he was writing, right? But he was just, but for me, uh, Jesus was probably just listening, asking his father and say, Dad, what do you want me to say here? How do you see here? Talking to his father. Because commentators, all, no, nobody said that he was writing something. But he was just. So, and they all left the story. And after they all left, she looked at her and said, uh, did anybody condemn you? Nobody. And Jesus said, neither do I. Mm-hmm. Right? I think those people see her as just somebody who committed sin. But Jesus looked at her and saw a, a woman with a lot of shame. See? With a lot of guilt. Remorseful. Hurting inside. But full of repentance heart. Contract heart. I think when we begin to see somebody through the eyes of God, we begin to see what is going on inside. Rather than just, oh, she did it this, or he did it this. So learning to see 
when you're getting older, you're just, <coughs> no, you'll, you'll follow me, okay? 49, I'm 49 now, so when you reach 49, you'll know. Even your mouth dries, Pastor Andrew. So, learning to see the eyes of God is, I think, one way of, uh, great way of uh, cultivating uh, our heart of compassion. Yeah, yeah. So the, I, give the, I came up with that two uh, sure. yeah, examples. So. Yeah. Which means um, in that very particular morning, m- moment, uh, being conscious of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Instead of just answer quickly like this. Say, teach me here. What do you want me to say here? I'm not saying that the pray, uh, life of prayer uh, prayerful life. I'm not saying that uh, just pray one in the morning and the evening. I'm not saying that. But any circumstances, situation, we just pray to God and say, Lord, what do you want me to know here? What, how, how do you want me to respond to this? Kind of being conscious of the Holy Spirit, of the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, Pastor John, why, why don't you tell the story about Floyd? That was a really powerful uh, story. That was uh, Anthony. Anthony Right. Last year, I usually go back to India once a year for uh, some of the work that we do there. We are working with a lot of uh, uh, women who are struggling with AIDS. Uh, pregnant women will identify the people from the villages and bring them to a small clinic. And our medical doctor will examine. And uh, once mom has AIDS, then we'll start protecting the baby. So we started since uh, that in 2006 and so far we have saved close to 200 kids from infecting AIDS. So I go back there every year and city team send me there. Uh, Last year in 2014 before uh, when I was getting ready to go to India me and one of my colleagues we uh, somebody brought one of the guys to come to our program Anthony alcoholics and uh, he had a stroke just a young man couldn't even talk walk and uh, we just admitted him and later on we we realized that we did a very uh, stupid uh, choices because we are not the medical doctors we don't have that kind of facilities and admitting somebody with a stroke like this I said wow we shouldn't even make that decision. We should re- refer him to somewhere. And after a week, one of my colleagues uh, who was um, a nurse before, she said, Jonathan, we cannot take care of him. We need to refer him to another program. So she and I are talking, and our teams are talking, and say, we cannot take care of this guy. But this guy is really wants to, he really wants to stay in our place. He said, I really need this. I need to deal with my alcoholism. But I know I'm very slow. I couldn't speak well because of my, the stroke that I have. So we are busy, me and my colleagues are getting ready for India trip. And I just stopped for a while and said, Lord, how do you want me to really deal with this man? I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do something based on uh, my convenience. I don't want to do it's very easy for us to make any decision based on if it is not convenience for us, we just say, you go. Right? Human beings are capable of doing that. 
So I just spend time with God and say, I, wa- I want to do exactly what you want me to do. And I begin to hear from God and say, you are now, you have one week in which in one week you will be leaving for India and you are very busy preparing for this and you are not going to make a good decision in this kind of situation. So why not you just wait, wait, and come back after you come back from India, why not you make that decision? So I told my colleagues and said, you know what? Uh, why not we just postpone it? Let him just stay with us and let's go and have fun in India. Let's go and do God's work there. And when we come back, if he's not improving, let's make that decision. Let's uh, find another place for him. So we came back after three weeks and I looked at him and it was just like night and day. And Anthony has improved a lot. And all my colleagues are saying that, no, this guy is doing very well. And we look at each other and say, I'm glad we listened to God. <laughs> he stayed with us for a year and graduated from the program last year. And on his graduation, his two sons came, uh, seven and eight, nine, and his wife came, and uh, they all come and thank me. Thank you for bringing my dad back. Thank you for bringing my dad back. Thank you for bringing my husband back. What I'm saying is, it's very easy to look at somebody and we can easily just ignore it. But when you take a moment, step back and say, Lord, what do you want me to see here? What do you want me to see about this? How do you want me to see about this guy, this person? Then we begin to see something, not just like a tree, but just like a human being who is struggling. That's how we begin to have a compassion. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to close a little bit with with the story. So we are asking the question: How do we cultivate a heart of compassion? And one of the the answers that the Scripture gives us is learn to see people the way that Jesus sees people. And for sure, uh, Jonathan is, is talking about examples with, with uh, the people who are oppressed, the, the poor, right? right? And, but I want to make the point that this is such a powerful question. It doesn't just affect the way that we see the poor. It actually has very far-reaching um, um, uh, change and implications. So I'll give you one example. This is where, like, asking God, how do you see the situation? How do you see the... And how, like, it affects, like, right here at home. Uh, I have been, for the past several weeks, really into the Warriors playoffs. Like, really into it. In the regular season, I wasn't. I didn't even know who Steph Curry was. And then I saw the wagon, and then I jumped right on. And said, wow, there's a great ride. You know, and I'm so into it. Anyway, uh, game three, okay, game three... I took my boys to go watch the Warriors at a good friend's house. And I told Raina, don't worry, I know it's a school night tomorrow. I, I will leave before the game ends. So I was watching the game, and for three quarters, Steph Curry was just cold. Nothing. It was boring, actually. But then, in the fourth quarter, he heated up. Now, 
my host also brought some potato chips, like the ruffles, the really salty, the really nice kind. And so I stayed because Steph Curry was doing his thing, right? And then five minutes left, I was still there because he was still hot. It was still kind of one minute left. I was still there. And then the game, you saw the game, the game ended. And I was still there. But then the potato chips were gone. I was still there. A little bit of post-commentary. And I felt like at that moment, I lost everything, okay? I was so discouraged because the Warriors lost. My kids were tired, and I broke my word. All three. And so I came home. The kids went straight to bed, and Reyna was not happy with me. And I was not happy that Reyna was not happy with me. And so for the rest of the night... I was trying to convince Raina to see my perspective. And she was trying to convince me to see her perspective. Now you're thinking she probably has more perspective. But at that moment, I felt like I had good reasons to come back late. Now it doesn't seem like it was very good. But back then, it seemed like these are good reasons. And then it was midnight. And we were going back and forth and back and forth. And then suddenly I realized that what Jonathan and I are talking about today is at play. The message for this Sunday for everyone here was for me and her at that moment. We have no compassion for each other. I have compassion for my perspective, but zero for hers. And we were tired. And she has compassion for her perspective, but zero for mine. And we didn't know what to do. And so at that moment, I'm just like, I'm so stupid. Let's just stop. And let's, (laughs) you're happy now. (laughs) Let's just stop and let's pray. I'm talking like hours of going back and forth. We stopped and we prayed. It, it was kind of a prayer like, Lord, you're seeing Raina a, a certain way that right now I'm totally missing. How do you see my wife? Wow. It was amazing because at that moment, I had zero compassion for her. But suddenly, I just felt like it was like a, it was like a, a download. I'm like, God has so much compassion for Raina and for me. And vice versa. I got to tell you, the argument was like swirling down. And then we prayed and we said, God, help. And everything just got back on focus. And we were sharing. We were hearing. There was compassion. Hmm. And we reconciled. And at the end, we're like, how do people who don't have God do it? And we don't, we don't know. But we kind of felt like, I have zero compassion. Right. But God has so much compassion for you and for me. And it's like when our, the, 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 our hearts run dry, God's love and compassion is like an overflowing fountain. Yeah. It's like we have nothing here, but he's got so much in abundance. We've yeah. got to tap into how he sees one another. And I, I, it, was, it was amazing. And can it be as simple as stopping what you're doing, slowing down and say, God, how do you see the other person right now? Exactly. Jesus, how do you see this person that I've been fighting with for the last two hours? That's a dangerous question. Things change. Yeah. Uh, closing words, Jonathan. You know, Pastor, Pastor Andrew, that's great uh, point, and thank you for sharing, uh, being vulnerable about uh, what happened between you and your wife. Uh, that happens to me and my wife uh, very often. Uh, I don't know you guys. Marriage is not not easy, right? It's a lot of work. Uh, see, when we learn to see someone through the eyes of God, 
absolutely right. We see the compassion of God, the love of God for everybody. And if God loves you and I, that homeless guy, that broken person, as a follower of Jesus, we have to love him. And I, I, I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy serving these people. It's an honor for me because I see the hand of God. I see the love of God every day by watching them. I'm not better than them. I keep saying to them, you're the one who is helping me get better every day. You're the one who always helped me to be more Christ-like. If we learn to see them through the eyes of God, we begin to see that. Yeah. Amazing. This is good stuff, Jonathan. Uh, we're going to have you come back soon and, and, and share with us more. Thank um, you. Pro probably need to wrap up right now. Right, so, right. Yeah. So quickly, uh, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Pastor Andrew. Yeah. Appreciate you. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Dan. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Uh, can we just go ahead and pray? Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for the great compassion of Jesus. Jesus did not have compassion deficit disorder. Jesus loved from the fullness of his heart, and that is why he died on the cross. That is why he sacrificed his life with a heart full of compassion for us. And it's because of his compassion and his sacrifice that we will forever be united with you starting in this life, starting now. I thank you for the great compassion of Christ. And I pray that more and more and more that we would learn to be and to look like him.